All right, Psalm 33 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loved righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot be rescued or it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul awaits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our, great, or for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Thanks, Jordan. Oh, hi. Hot mic. Okay. We good? No? Yeah, sure. All right, good morning. My name is Ryan. Um, I've been with Free City about four years or so, um, and so it's my pleasure to be up here. I get to do this a few times a year, so uh, I dig it a lot. So um, when I was about 17 years old, I, uh, I had kind of a life-changing experience to where God really made himself real to me. And, and I remember coming back, uh, it was around spring break of that year, long time ago. Uh, but I came back and I, uh, I remember just being in this kind of weird, it's kind of a tepid fire. So like it's there and it's, it's, it's kind of burning strong, like it's not going out. But I remember there was one thing in particular that made me just like fearful. And it's going to church on Sunday morning and having the band rock it out, kind of like this morning. And then, right? Yeah, they rock. Uh, and then there's this moment where I'm like standing there and you feel the juices flowing and you feel this urge because you love Jesus and you want to raise your hands. And you want to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like two seats down from me is my mom. And she's right there. Uh, and so there's this, like this deep fear in me because praise is a thing that doesn't come naturally to me, right? I, uh, so like I was in a band in college and we were like an emo band, right? Like we were, we were crying a lot. All right. Uh, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not the, my, these bangs go this way, by the way, so they can cover my face. Uh, that was me, right? I'm the one who like drifts all the time towards like a Psalm 13, right? Where are you, God? Are you going to forget me? Why? 
Uh, like, that's me. And it's as I've, I've, I've grown to mature in Christ, I've realized the power in praise. And so the power in praise is this. It's a weapon. It's a weapon against the darkness of this world. Praise does not say that nothing bad ever happens. Rather, it says, in the face of bad things, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. We have this fear, and I think a lot of us have it. It's this fear of maybe trusting God so much that you would get excited about him. We have this fear that if, if I really believed what God has said, if I really trusted God, my life would look completely different, but I'm kind of afraid of, of that. I might start yelling things like, have a great start to your week at the end of the service, right? <laughs> like, we get uncomfortable when Shay does this, right? But it's because he, he loves Jesus, like, there's no joke. In, like, sorry, that's funny. That was funny. I feel like I should. So I've been, I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. So like, this is where I feel comfortable here. <laughs> so this morning, I'm going to ask us a very simple question. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hover over our study of Psalm 33. And it's this. It's going to be on the screen. What would your life look like if you fully trusted God? What would it look like? What would it look like if you could say, no pestilence, nor death, nor destruction can touch me, nor anything else in all of creation? Because no, I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. What if it looked like, what would it look like in your life if you can do that? So fully trusting God, we're really going to look at that, um, fully confident in his plans, fully confident in his provisions, fully cognizant of his presence constantly with us. Like we're thinking about the fact that God is continually with us. What would our life look like? So Psalm 33 is a psalm of praise directed at the faithfulness of the Lord through his creation for his people. It is not a psalm caused by great times, but rather, and listen to this, it's birthed out of great joy in the Lord despite the war-torn nature of being one of God's people. There is great joy in the Lord even though we are pressed on every side. Uh, Alexander the Great um, had a, a physician. And had, there was a famous kind of conversation, and he, and he said to his physician who believed in God, he said, give me proof that God is real. And the physician said, the Jews, the people of God that God has taken, from the beginning of creation and protected. The people of God that has survived despite being a small nation, not a great nation. Despite going into territory that was not theirs. For being enslaved for hundreds of years. For being in the desert for 40 years. Being taken through. That that is a perfect example of that God exists because this people still exists. And so this morning in 33, I really just want to kind of look at two things. One is, what are we supposed to be doing? And that's a simple answer, it's praise. And then the second one is, why? 
Why is God worthy of being praised? When I was about uh, 12 years old, probably a little younger, but my dad's here, so I don't want to tell on him too much. Uh, I remember coming down the stairs of our house, and my dad was watching a VHS tape. That's this, uh, it's a tape that has like, is everybody cool with the retro here? All right, so he rented a VHS tape, and it was a dual VHS tape of a movie called Braveheart. Mm. Anybody feel that? Like, you just felt like fighting a war just by me saying Braveheart. So, uh, and, and so I'm watching this with my dad. And it's, it's like, there's some battle scenes. It's good. Like, you know, it's, like, it's somewhat of a slow start. But then, like, he takes the little Ford and he cuts off the guy's leg. Ah, you know, it's like, great. And then he goes to this big battle. And then there's uh, a bunch of Scottish people, right, on one side. And then on the other side is like 10 times as many English people. And these people are starting to walk away. And then all of a sudden, Braveheart, that's the only name he has, Braveheart, comes on a horse with blue face paint. And he's like, where are you going? And so this morning, before we just just dive into Psalm 33, I want to give you a proper context for uh, a psalm as a battle cry. You guys ready? This can be interactive. If you know the lines, just shout them along with me. So William Wallace says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And some idiot says, William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs in his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. I didn't say a bad word. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here to de- in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. But what will you do with your freedom? Will you fight? Fight, says some idiot soldier. Against that? No. We will run and we will live. I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, will you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take... Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) They may take our lives, but they'll never take... You may go in peace now. Uh, Like this, like that's like the key of a good war movie is that battlefield speech. It's always the side that can't win. That gets this talking to that after hearing it, they can't lose. They kill every Englishman on the field and they start charging and they live. And yeah, some of them die, but they died fighting. So, here's how we're going to approach Psalm 33. And, and at some point, we're going to get through just the, hey, here's what we go about it. And we'll get to preaching at some point. 
this is worth getting excited about. Not because I'm preaching or I'm going to say something crazy, but the truth that, that whatever the psalmist is, it might be David, it might not, but the truth that the scripture is saying here is that there's a God who has power that can control everything and is on your side. So, let's do this. You ready? Verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So we're in the what right now. What are we supposed to do with this? We're supposed to praise. And this is three verses of just explaining how we praise. Proper praise is rooted in joy, right? Look at verse 1. Shout for joy uh, in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. So the question is, what is joy? There's a quote on the screen. It's going to be from John Piper. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So this, this deep-centered good feeling in the soul, not necessarily because of circumstances, but rather because you keep reading in the scripture and seeing in the world that God is working. That is Christian joy. So three takeaways from the what's, and we're just going to get into it. One, um, praise is the look of those who rely on God. It, it's, it's what you're supposed to do. And it's, it's embarrassing sometimes, but it's how you're supposed to go about it. The righteous and upright are not necessarily those who are, quote-unquote, like moral people, but rather those who rely on God and praise is what pours out of those people. In your reliance on God, you get to praise him more and more and more. It, it's, it's interesting to me that when we sing about like the sacrifice of Jesus Christ or that we are we are his and his at his name like darkness trembles those who who kind of feel that more or need that more tend to be the ones that are praising it out more and that's not just oh hey you don't need it cuz you're not praising not at all there's no guilt trip here what it is is that there's a certain point in our life where we utterly realize that our reliance on God needs some kind of outward expression. We can't always pray in our heads. Sometimes we need to pray out loud. We can't always kind of have this timid life where we kind of have this casual feeling towards God. Sometimes we kind of get crazy. Sometimes. So, praise is the look of those who rely on God. Two, you should be skilled with your praise. You don't need to be the best musician, but there needs to be some effort in your praise. He says this specifically in verse 3, that uh, sing to him a new song, which refers to a continual renewal or thankfulness of the testimony of God. So it's not necessarily we're always singing the latest and making the latest and greatest music, right? We sing old hymns now. But it's that with our new song, that as we continually rely on God, it's not, hey, I'm not saying thanks God, uh, praise God for something that happened five years ago. I'm saying thanks God for something that happened five minutes ago. There's a continual renewal in our praise. We're always continually having things new to praise God for. Sing to him a new song. You should be skilled at this. There should be some work in this. And three, this is, 
this is something I think we're going to struggle with. We got to shout this out. We got we to gotta shout this out. So it's not only play skillfully with the strings, but look in verse 3. It says, uh, with loud shouts. This is my favorite one because, you know, when we praise, we, we just don't stay silent. We sing loudly, boldly, and with abandon. There's, there's no embarrassment in praising God. Um, so last week, I was driving uh, to the Legends. Uh, so I'm on I-70 going with my kids. I got all three of my kids. My wife was at a Bible study, and so we're going to the Legends. We got a, some Old Navy shopping to do. So as I'm going there, I'm playing a playlist um, on my Spotify, and, and what con- comes on is that the Hill song, the Who You Say I Am. You guys know the song? Yes? Okay. I just, like, I don't want to speak a different language here. So the bridge of that song is awesome. That's right. It's like, Delaney, just sing it. No. <laughs> I am chosen, not forsaken. I am. You know the song? Okay. So, and then it's like, we got Josh or Lindsay drumming in it because I'm pumping it in my car. It's a boo doo It builds, it builds. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And I'm just pumping it. I don't care what my kids are doing. But all of a sudden, when I'm on like 11 in my car and it's just going nuts, I hear my daughter who's six years old and I hear her screaming at the top of my lungs, who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. Ethan, can I be on the praise team, buddy? (laughs) I hear it. I hear my six-year-old daughter talk about freedom in Christ, and I lose it. I'm balling. I can't even sing anymore. I can't see straight. I'm wiping tears from my eyes because here it is. Listen, what we understand about salvation, which isn't a ton, but what we know is that there is some cognition that needs to happen. My daughter is not necessarily right now repentant of her sin. So right now, I would not say, no, she's a Christian, right? But she's a six-year-old that we are, we are pumping every bit of Jesus into that hopes in one day that she would realize that there is a great love story for her that is sweeping her up, and it's Jesus Christ, right? That's my hope in my daughter. But right now, she knows nothing about that other than she sings to Jesus. Here's the thing. Can you imagine you in your life not knowing anything about God other than the finite amount that you know about the infinite God? You claim salvation, you claim righteousness, but really, what do you know about it? But in a time of praise, you shout out who the sun sets free is free indeed. And what does your father in heaven do when he overhears it from the music? He bawls. There is something about our praise that is emboldening. There is something about our praise that says, God, I don't understand it. I don't have it right now in my life. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys, and I think you're going to be honest with me. Who has true freedom right now? But when you sing of the freedom of Jesus Christ, you sing of something that has been taken care of, but something that will be fully realized in the future. So we praise, we praise, we praise. We shout it out because we have to. 
And our God is moved with compassion towards us when he does. So, the what we do, we praise. And we think about it. And we do it with boldness. And we shout it out because God is worthy of our shouts. Yeah? Now let's go to why we praise. Why? I'm going to do three. It's going to be an alliteration. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> three reasons why we praise. And, and I'm just going to be honest. This is going to be the part where we just get to preach in here. Because the, the verse does a whole lot more than my exegesis can. So we're just going to get into it. All right? So three reasons. He's constant. He's creating. And he's compassionate. Okay? He's constant. Look at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in, in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his. And you're going to see this a lot. The steadfast love of the Lord. So that's um, the Hebrew word there is hesed. It's the covenantal love word. It's the word that takes um, the Hebrew people from Abraham, right? That's the covenant of Abraham, it's the covenant that when God said, hey, Abraham, I think we should make this, this steadfast love, this continual love covenant with each other. He says, we should do this. And Abraham says, what have I to offer? And God says, you're actually right. Why don't you just go to sleep right now and I'll take care of both sides of this covenant. It's that. It's that confident. It's that constant. So it's that love that, that took the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, right? We just got through Exodus. So that, that's the, the hesed love, the covenantal love, the steadfast love of the Lord. Ultimately, it's the love that causes God to send his son Jesus to die for us. And then it expands, and we're going to get a little big here, right? It expands from hesed love, which is really directed at the people of God, the Israelites, into the Greek term is agape love, right? Which is love for all. So it's this love that takes us to a point where Jesus dies on the cross and all are forgiven and he opens it up. So this hesed love, the steadfast love, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The whole earth is full of God's hesed, the steadfast love. That's continual love, that's saving love, the love that commands the eye of the Father and ultimately rescues us. You can jump down to verse 18 and you see it there too. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and hope in his hesed or steadfast love that, they, that he may deliver their soul from death and also keep them alive in famine. He is a rescuing God. He is always there. His eyes are on those who fear him. This covenant is not based on your obedience, but rather God's faithfulness. This covenant is based on who God is, not who you are or were or are going to be. You sin that you don't lose the covenant of God. God is constantly with you. His eyes of the Lord are those who fear him, those who hope in his hesed. So he's always there. He is constant. Number two, he is creating. And this is just, this is just cool. So look in verse six. 
there's no like crazy deep dive we need to do into this. Listen to verse six. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of the mouth, all their host. He gathers the water in the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. We have a powerful God that we praise. So what we do is we shout for joy. Why? Because we literally have a God who at the word of his mouth, things happen. At the word of his mouth, he tells land to go to a certain point and stop. He tells waters to rise to a certain point and stop. He holds together a bunch of land and makes mountains. He pushes down the sea and makes crevasses that we've never discovered before. He speaks and universes were created. He's a powerful God. He's a powerful God that if he is for us, there's nothing that can be against us. He's creating, and he is constantly creating. This is the power in the word of the Lord. And number three, he's compassionate. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart go to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the children of man. And where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the earth, fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. This point says three things. One, look in verse 11, he counsels. He is compassionate because he looks at your condition and he gives you counsel. Two, he chooses. He chooses you. The God of all creation who has this power to move mountains and move things and move oceans and seas, he chose you. He looks down and sees. There is never a time where you have been abandoned by God. He maybe can't feel that all the time. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But, but understand that the God we praise, that we shout out praise to, he sees and he looks down on you. And he fashions our hearts and he observes us. He is constantly there because he made the very heart by which we have beating, uh, by which we have blood pumping through our bodies He made the lungs that we breathe in and out, and he sees all we do. He observes all our deeds. There's a bold statement in here that God knows us. It's that that statement that um, Paul makes at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, right? So, So one day I will know as I am now known. There is a depth of knowledge of God towards you that you can only fathom because God has woven you together in his power of creation, in his compassion, he has made you, you. 
And then he says of those who trust in something else, this. The king is not saved by his great army. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And its great might, it cannot rescue. This is William Wallace, people. This is it. This is Braveheart standing on the battlefield saying they may take our lives. Yeah, for a moment, this, this, this power of uh, whatever enemies coming at us might, might have great power of horses, might be, have a great army, might, but they cannot touch or take what God has fashioned in me. Right? That's what he's saying. You can take our lives. You can never take our freedom. The joy of the Lord fuels our praise, and he will not let us go. So, so we can go into context when we're actually the Israelites reading this psalm, praising to this psalm, and seeing that God is standing against the army of the Philistines, maybe, or the, the Amorites, or the Hittites, or whatever. That God is standing against those. But what does the New Testament tell us other than our battle is not against flesh and blood, but power and principality? So for some of us in this room, and by some of us, I mean everyone in this room, has a battle against sin in their life. And if you're not fighting, you're not living. There is a battle continually against sin. For some of us, there is a deep depression that hangs like a cloud over us. And we say, God, I don't even know if you're there because I can't get out of bed right now. For some of us, there is a lure of the pleasures of a lust-filled internet search that will say, God, if you loved me, you'd want me to have this kind of pleasure. For some of us, there is deep despair about pain and sickness and, and, and deep debt for some of us. That if a loving God was really there, if he really deserved my praise, this wouldn't happen. So you relent. You say, no, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. If I just stay here, there's some pleasure in it. There's some, some, some solace in it. And I'll just resign myself to this life. But praise says, there is no strength of sin and death and destruction that can overtake you. There is no power of any creation that can ever steal what God has fashioned in your heart. There is nothing, nothing, no sin, death, pain, Sometimes they may have the day, but there is a joy deep inside God's people. We live in a fallen world that lives in the reality of Jesus' sacrifice, but we have not yet seen it. So sin is having a day right now. But one day, we will see glory. We will see God come down and like that defeat sin. And so the psalmist says in verse 20, we're going to have to wait for that. And what sustains us is the joy of the Lord, which fuels praise and hope of a reality that we might not see yet. 
Look at verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He, nothing else but He, is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust His holy name. Praise is not the magic key to a happier life, but a weapon against the enemy. We wait for the Lord because one day you and I will be in eternity And this present pain and affliction will seem to us like the mercy of God because through it we have praised him. And as the solution, we have seen death and destruction defeated. And all is grace for those who are found in God. Uh, I want you to look at the screen. One of my favorite books is C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. If you haven't read it, read it. It's kind of about the reality of heaven and hell. Um, It's just a great book. So there's this quote. It looks a little long. We're going to go through it. Son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn every agony into glory. In some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have but this and I'll take the consequences, little dreaming of how damnation will spread back and back into the past and uh, contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and it will is filled only with dreariness. That is why, and this is important, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except for heaven. The lost, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. There will be a day for those who are in Christ Jesus that you will look back on your past pain and struggles and sin and see God, his, his path weaving, weaving it up to glory. And you'll look back and never ask for any other path than the one he gave you. Heaven, God's glory, that thing that we hold on to, to make right all the wrong in this world because we believe that no king's army can ever do it, no strength of horse can ever do this, that there is power only in God, that glory that we will behold one day will transform our memory of our sin into that present glory. Why do we shout to God in pain and in struggle? Why do we even praise when there's so many bad things in this world happening? Because that there is a God that is there and is the answer. And I have not yet seen fully what that looks like. Nobody in this room has, or else they'd be perfect, right? Uh, John Calvin says that all Christians are part unbeliever until the day they die, right? We always are in this struggle. We always are in this pain. We are always in this, 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 this hard spot to live in. But we praise God because there is no other answer. 
And it's trite, maybe. And it's hard to, to, to believe that. But we praise God loudly and boldly because I know of no other well by which I can be satisfied. There is no answer in the world that is going to make me feel better. There is nothing in the world that I can meditate on like Jesus Christ that turns my mourning into dancing. I, I, I used to go to, to punk rock shows all my youth, and I used to go to these uh, concerts and all that kind of stuff, and I've been in, in, in venues where I've seen what I think are some of the greatest bands ever, and I've seen them perform live, and I never get as moved than when I hear that Christ died for me. So this morning, I, I just... We have nothing else but Jesus. And so we hope, we wait for one day that Christ will be fully glorified. Verse 22 says this, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So the main question this morning was this. What would your life look like if you fully trusted God? The largest weapon that you and I have against doubt and unbelief is praise. Rooted in joy. We wait for the Lord because he has proven himself out. He has proven himself out in Jesus Christ. While we were wayward in our sin and destruction, actively working against the will of God, Jesus came to absorb the wrath due you and I. Hebrew puts it, Hebrews puts it this way, that looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the sh- despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a God who has chosen you, who has endured a cross for you, that in your present pain you may have hope in him. We praise because that God is alive and well. We praise because there is no other source by which men are saved than Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ has looked into your sinful, wayward life and called you his. That you are standing before God one day in the great courtroom of judgment and Jesus points you out and says, hey, you can't take that one, that's mine, that one, that's mine, that one, that's mine. They're your kids. We praise because that is the future we have to look forward to and he's given a glimpse of his glory in the Holy Spirit that as we praise, God encourages our hearts to say, yes, hold out for me, I will redeem the day, I will hold you fast. So I have some questions this morning. We started with one big one, and that's a great one if you're having city group this week, if you're meeting with your life transformation group to ask. My wife and I, this week as we were um, talking about uh, how I was going to prepare for this and what we are talking about, we just started talking about our lives right now is what would they look like if we fully trusted God? My life has been an emotional roller coaster for the past five years because I said uh, about five years ago, God, I want to trust you. 
and he gave me a vision and a hope to plant a church one day. And then instead of giving me what I desperately wanted, he gave me a church family in Free City. He gave me hope that he's not done with my dreams, but he has a spot for me here. So I could say to anybody that I have every reason to say, you know what, God gives you dreams, but he doesn't follow through. But that's not true. God gives you his dreams. And the biggest one of all is that one day you will see him in glory. There is worthy of praise if you have crushed dreams and heartfelt anger. Because one day it won't matter. God is worthy of praise because he is the only God at all. So I want to do this. Can you just close your eyes, everybody? Let's just close our eyes. Gosh. If you're... um, I think we have this fear, this fear of the, uh, the answer, I, I don't know. And praise rooted in joy is a solution to say, yeah, I don't know, but I'm praising who knows. So this morning, if, if, you, um, if you need a renewed sense of that, why don't, why don't we just stand? Would you stand if you need a, a renewed sense of that, that joy that is only found in the Lord? If that's you this morning. God, we are your people. If you see people standing up, if you would uh, maybe reach out a hand um, to them. God, we are your people who are deep in a fight against sin and death and destruction against the powers and principalities of this world. And we need our weapons, which is praise in you to fight against the darkness. God, we need a way that we cannot be ashamed to shout your glory. To say to darkness that the one who holds the power of all creation in his words is the one who sees me right now. God, that, that, that we wouldn't get tricked into thinking that, that magical uh, uh, power of positive thinking is the way to go, but rather joy, deep-centered joy-centered praise in the one true God is the only thing that fights this. Jesus, that you have defeated sin and with a praise and joy filled before you, you shouted out that it is finished. That the praise of your people 
is a defiant shout to the tyranny of sin and destruction. That your people would sing your praises and beat back the enemy through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask for that renewed sense of joy that leads to praise, that leads to active fights against death and destruction. We pray that though we are weak and can't do it, that your spirit will be deep down rooted in us, that though we may die, they can never take what you have given, which is your eternity. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this. And all of God's people shouted, amen. Oh, come on. All of God's people shouted, amen. Amen.